podcast where we discuss the ins and outs of the film and sports industries. Uh, this is your host, Braden Shaw. And I'm Graham Cannon. And we're here to discuss the next 10 films of the AFI Top 100. Um, last week, um, we discussed the first 10 films, uh, had, had um, a good discussion, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we'll be getting into some uh, some classic films, while also maybe some newer fare um, and let's jump right in. Number 90 um, is Swing Time from 1936. Excuse me. For <laughs> it's, it's all good. Um, starring Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, directed by George Stevens. Um, Graham, uh, first of all, just overall thoughts on this film. It shouldn't be on the list. <laughs> just starting off with a bang. Uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers are a duo that are, that are cemented in the history of film. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they picked Swing Time as the film to put on the list. Yeah. Um, I don't know if... Because we discussed this last time about uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy. These kind of musicals are don't seem like they hold up as well Yeah. as other ones. Because Swing Time... If I'm talking all-time musicals, I'm talking Sound of Music. I'm talking Fiddle on the Roof. West Side Story. West Side Story. I'm talking those kind of musicals where the inside the studio musical kind of doesn't make the list. Mm-hmm. So Swing Time at 90, I think they just want to get Fred Astaire some love. And George Stevens, who's, an, who's a very good director. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it deserved deserves to be on this list. I think it's tough, because I think that kind of what we were going back to last week, where we were talking about, does this film help tell the story of film? And I think Fred and Ginger absolutely do. They do. And I think that in, like, there are some heavy hitters that worked on this film. George Stevens, you mentioned. Alan Scott, who worked on multiple um, mm-hmm. movies with Fred and Ginger. Howard Lindsay, who worked on Sound of Music. I'm not de- I'm not going to deny that this movie is somewhat important. I just, like, at 90, it just seems somewhat high. I feel like of the films that are on the list, like, we, the films that are below it, I'll, I'll list them off. Sophie's Choice, which we agree shouldn't be on the list. Uh-huh. Goodfellas. One of the best mob movies ever made. Uh-huh. French Connection, another great film. Uh-huh. Pulp Fiction, a classic. Last Picture Show, shouldn't be on the list. Do the Right Thing, a classic. Blade Runner, right. a classic. Toy Story, a classic. Yeah. And Ben-Hur, which we discussed, probably shouldn't be on the list. Yeah. But um, it's like it could be in that bottom ten. It definitely could be in that bottom ten, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that um, there are... Uh, a wider, I guess, net that they could have cast for um, for Fred and Ginger films. Yeah. Um, I know Top Hat's been thrown out a lot. Top Hat would probably have been the better choice. I think just because this, around this time, the na- it was inducted to the National Registry right around the time that mm-hmm. they had um, done the second list. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a reason why it was picked up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, so just real quick here, it won one Oscar um, for Best Music Original Song, The Way You Look Tonight, which, which is, is a really good a, song. Which is now like a uh, standard for jazz. Yeah. Um, and then I see on your list. Uh, the, it was nominated, which I want I want to get your opinion on this. So it was nominated for Best, best Dance Direction, Bojangles of Harlem, which is, I assume, I need, I need to look seen, into it. Have it's you seen one the he, film? Yes. It's one you put on blackface, right? Yes. Okay, that's what Bojangles I thought. Bojangles in Harlem is where they put on blackface. And... It wasn't, and at the time period, it wasn't uncommon. Sure. But also, Fred Astaire was really good friends with Mr. Bojangles, who was yeah. a very great dancer. Yeah. Um. He he was in. He's been in a bunch of movies. Um. I need to look up. I actually didn't probably look up the guy's real name, but um. He was. He's been in a bunch of older films. He was in Shirley Temple movies. Well, way back in the day. Um. 
but he was an amazing tap dancer, and it was kind of just an ode to him. Uh-huh. But, it, yeah, Bill Robinson. That was his name, Bill Robinson. Um, I just don't agree that it doesn't age well. Like that That's tough to watch. It's tough to it's watch. It's tough to watch because especially now where it's like, this is starting to become a huge, huge, huge issue. Oh, yeah. Which it was a huge issue in the 90s and the 2000s. It just doesn't age well. Yeah, that that's tough. I, I think I'm not a huge fan of the film as a whole. I think it's a fine musical. It's, it's a good not, movie. It's yeah, a... I, I think it's fine. But that scene and that stretch and really that kind of leads into the conclusion of the film and that's kind of what you're left with. Yeah, you're kind of left with this black face. Uh-huh. And then, and then he the... kind of re- reconciles with his uh, fiance and then goes off with um, uh, Ginger Rogers' character. But, I, I mean, mean... There's some amazing shots in this where like he's dancing with shadows. Mm-hmm. It's insane to watch. I mean, you yeah. look at, like, the, I mean the choreography is amazing because Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers both did it together. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't have, I don't think they had a choreographer on set. I think they just were like, we're going to do it this way. And George Stevens just kind of put a camera where they're going to do some stuff. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it deserves to be on here. It's a very, it's a good movie, but it doesn't deserve to be top 100 great. Yeah. But if the, I think they should just widen the net a little bit more to Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. Like Top Hat would be a perfect yeah. choice. I think, yeah, I think that, um, uh, Fred and Ginger should definitely be represented. This just might not be the right choice. Um, also, kind of you mentioned a little earlier, Graham. It was inducted into the National Film Registry in 2004. So, again, people have an affinity for it, and then there might be some nostalgia uh, mm-hmm. mixed into that, too. And I feel like this movie just appeared on the list. It, like, it wasn't on the original 1997. I yeah. think it just appeared. If I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong in comments <laughs> or something. But um. Um, Next up... Uh, we have number 89, The Sixth Sense, in 1999. Um, stars Bruce Willis, Haley Joel Osment, Tony Collette, writer and director, of course, M. Night Shyamalan. His debut It's when he was getting put on magazine covers as the next Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, really just burst onto the scene, obviously, with that, um, uh, that twist at the end and mm-hmm. just kind of this uh, new creative uh, filmmaker in M. Night Shyamalan who really... Um, set himself up for a potentially great career that depends on who you ask whether he's actually lived up to that. But um, that's a conversation for another day. Ernest Shyamalan is an amazing, is a very good director. I was just going to say amazing. He's a very good director. His his vision is very straightforward. He knows what he's going to make. Um, this film should not be on the list. It is the only film from 1999 that's on the list. Wow. Yeah. In 1999 has has the Matrix has the Green Mile, it has Fight Club. Uh-huh. It is it is one of those sentimental, like film years, and I, I just like I look at this list and the Sixth Sense is one that makes it, and it's at eighty nine. Yeah, I don't agree with it. And M Night Shyamalan is a good director, but what did this film really do for the for film as a whole? I guess. It introduced um, it introduced Shyamalan, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it it gave uh, Bruce Willis another, I guess, um, serious role. He's not very good in this movie, in my opinion. I mean, I, I i think he's I think he's good for what it requires. I think Haley Joel Osment is amazing in this movie. Yeah, well, he, he got nominated for an Oscar, rightfully um, so. I mean, Tony Collette mm-hmm. is in this as well. Um, 
But let's talk about 1999 because the Academy's a weird year for this. Yeah. So Best Picture for this year. Uh, oh, by the way, um, this was nominated for six Oscars. Best Picture, Supporting Actor for Osmond, Supporting Actress for Tony Collette, Best Director, Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. But the Best Picture for that year was American Beauty Won It, mm-hmm. um, The Green Mile, Cider House Rules, The Insider, and The Sixth Sense. That's an interesting class, to say the least. <laughs> it's just, there's a bunch of old Hollywood films that are kind of on this. The Green Mile, which is a throwback to kind of like the 60s, 70s type, type film. Mm-hmm. Tom um, Hanks as a leading man. Yeah. Cider House Rules, which hasn't aged well. Um, the Insider, which I don't remember seeing. It's always nice, I think, to give Michael Mann some love. He's yeah, just, he's an eccentric director that I don't know if he gets as much credit I mean, as maybe he's, ama- he's amazing. Yeah, uh, and then the Sixth Sense. It's just this year where you look at who really did like really well in film and like films that we talk about to this day, like The Matrix, mm-hmm. which is a sentimental action film. But I don't, I don't agree with this film being on the list. Yeah, it's a horror esque film, and. I just don't agree with it being here, especially above the other classics that we that we know are classics right now. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because I understand the reasoning for this and just the fact that um, this... I feel like The Sixth Sense is wholly original. It is. It's a very... It's a unique film. Like, yeah. there's, there's no... no the, there's, there have been a lot of copies since, but it hasn't been replicated the exact same way because this yeah. film was uniquely done uh the twist at the ends i've i don't know if you should spoil it but it's a 20 year old movie now i i think it's fine but i mean like bruce willis is dead the entire yeah, time i see dead people and I see he's dead a, people. yeah he's a ghost and yeah yeah um but i just i don't agree with this movie being above all those other classics that are on this yeah list i mean honestly now that you mentioned that, I think if we're if we were to put a film on here that um, has a twist like that, I think Memento. Memento, and we might get an argument later about this. I think it's Nolan's most overrated film because it's so unique. Because people think it's so unique. Well, but... I mean, I I think that it's executed very well, and I think it has rewatch value, and I think Guy Pierce gives an incredible performance. It, it, and it is. But... I really like how meticulous. Nolan set that up and I think yeah. and I like I don't know this is just maybe my my feelings is that I like kind of figuring it out figuring out things along with the characters and kind of just giving clues at I mean I, I like that as well I just I think it was overhyped for me because everybody mm. told me like it's this art house amazing film type yeah. thing and I think it just it was so overhyped yeah, I, I understand that but um, but 1999 is just a great year for film and it's just a shame that we. This is the film that gets put up out of all the films from that year. Yeah, I. I mean, I think definitely um, Matrix. Probably Matrix or Fight Club, kind of like what we mentioned last week, could probably be the representative. Mm-hmm. I think this is also a different conversation if Shyamalan hit hit a couple out of the park after this. Yeah, this is. I mean, what other films did he do? He did. He did the like villi- the unbreaka- was- Unbreakable Signs. Um, the Village came out around the time this list came out. Mm-hmm. He did. I mean, he's done. Uh, but then he also has like Lady in the Water, mm-hmm. and like, um, and in like The Happening, in Glass, in Glass, <laughs> in Glass. But we like Split. But, Split's amazing. I mean, yeah. it, it's not hard to make that good of a movie with 
amazing of an actor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's man. I guess I just wish that Shyamalan had even lived up to half of the hype, just because people were literally calling also, him the next Spielberg. Also, forgetting the last year of Bender. I think it's just best if we don't even mention that movie. But anyway, yeah, you're not wrong. Let, let's just move on. Uh, <laughs> number eighty-eight. Um, Bringing Up Baby from 1938 stars Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant, directed by Howard Hawks, inducted into the National Film Registry in 1990. I'm just going to say right now, I don't think this should be on here. I This is one of the films that I didn't get to see for this list. And um, if you want to talk about it more, I I love Catherine, I love me some Catherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything I've seen in this film, just everything I've seen, like I've read up a little bit on some of these, it doesn't hold up compared to the other films that are in this, like, ten at least. No, I, I, it definitely feels like the odd one out. And I think that really, if I had to describe this film in one word, I would say it's goofy. Um, I think that it's not um, Cary Grant or Katherine Hepburn's um, best work, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Katherine Hepburn is literally one of the greatest actresses of all time. She won four Oscars for a reason. Um, and Cary Grant, um, I, I think I think their chemistry, as that door slams behind us, um, uh, I think their chemistry is fine. I think that it's it's kind of charming in like a 30s way. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the uh, the whole leopard thing is a bit odd at times um and it's very it's a very it's a very 30s movie i'll say that yeah, much. i mean it, i don't know if it necessarily ages the best a lot of 30s like king Kong's on this list and it didn't and it still is an amazing film but it doesn't hold up very well like yeah. the style of act like we talked about acting last time acting has just changed so much yeah because it was a bunch of guys from theater in the 20s and 30s that uh-huh. came into the scene Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant were both, were both theater actors. Yeah. So they had to project their voice. They knew how to do stuff certain ways. And they overacted a lot because you have to do that when you're on stage. So um, I don't know if it deserves to be on the list. It wasn't even nominated for an Oscar. It wasn't. I, I, I think it's another film that a lot of people just have kind of what we were talking about um, earlier with Swing Time, kind of just one of those older films from the 30s that had had likable stars mm-hmm. had really um it, it's a, it's not really a movie that you necessarily hate because there's nothing no, there's nothing just that sticks out as bad yeah. from it um i know that howard hawks had an interesting career as a director yeah <laughs> uh, with the films that he made um and i know that Cary grant and, and Catherine hepburn did star in a few films together um but again i just i think this is really just a case of both Hepburn and Grant were in better stuff, and I yeah. know Cary Grant pops up later on this list. Cary Grant's an amazing actor. Um, I because be- I believe North by Northwest is later on the list yeah. as well. Um, I mean, he had and, a really big research. In yeah, the and I mean, and like, and I, I mean, Cary Grant has been in so many good roles. I mean, I mean, uh, Notorious to Catch a Thief. Like, I mean, just His Girl Friday. His Girl Friday. Like he, he's one of those classic guys. I mean, he was pretty much George Clooney before George Clooney. And also, <laughs> maybe a clause. I think he was one of the guys who's closeted. He's a closet homosexual during this time. I believe he's. I believe he's. He was one that was. A lot of people think that he may have been gay, but there's. It's very interesting. His his entire like there's. I think there's a couple of books about him dealing with his sexuality during the thirties because he's a very interesting human being. Well, that would have been a tough time to. Yeah. um, To uh, I guess deal with that, but no, Cary Grant's awesome and Catherine Hepburn's awesome. I just think that. They, they both did better things, and I mean, I guess we can just leave it at that. Yeah, it doesn't deserve to be on the list. Yeah, and it's just, it's also tough to see 
films like Swing Time and Sixth Sense and Bringing Up Baby above Goodfellas, French Connection, Pulp Fiction, Do the Right Thing, Blade Runner. I, I guess that's really my biggest thing with this section is that I think they're and we'll we'll get into it's, it. A lot of these are old Hollywood. Yeah. There's one. The next film on the list is one that I think has stood the test of time and is and is one of the best films I think ever made. Yeah. But like, Bringing Out Baby is very old Hollywood. It's yeah. a film that is a com- It's one of the few comedies on the list. Yeah. That's not a silent comedy. Which which sucks because I think that like we kind of I kind of mentioned it last week that comedy is an underrepresented um, so genre on this, yeah. but I th- I don't think that should be bringing a baby should not represent. It's not comedy. funny. It's not funny to our generation. Yeah. So something I mean, it's not funny today. If you watch it today, it's not as funny as you know the Charlie Chaplin movie where it's like it's a lot of slapstick, but it's really well done slapstick. Yeah. Or even Irving Marx Brothers pops Marx up Brothers, a couple times on this list. Where, the, where it's t- fast talking, but it's funny. Yeah, absolutely. And what? But one film that does age well that you kind of alluded to it, number 87, 12 Angry Men from 1957. Not the 90s remake, but fit the original. Um, I cannot believe it, but it's Sidney Lumet's directorial debut. It's a, and it is one of the best films I think ever made. Stars Henry Fonda, Lee J. Cobb, Martin Balsam. Um, I just saw this for the first time this last really? week. Really? Okay, what'd you think? It it blew me away. It is it's amazing how it's one of those things that every filmmaker strives to do. A one location film. Absolutely. Which that, is one of the hardest things to pull off. Because there's no way that you can leave this place. Because if you're trying to it's a it's a challenge. I think every director should or filmmaker should try to do a film in one room. Or one space. Because mm-hmm. it's really hard to do. Um, but Henry Fonda's unbelievable in this movie. Uh, the tension, the, the amount of stress you're feeling. And it happens really in two locations. The beginning is in the courtroom. And then the rest is in the juror's room. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is an insane film. I think that it's also really a really nice um, choice that they made to have it be one of the hottest days in New York. Mm-hmm. And as as kind of they, um, you feel the tension build as they slowly um, kind of come to come to grips with, well, maybe this guy, maybe this kid's not guilty after all. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, at first you have it where Henry Fonda is kind of the odd man out, and then slowly as as people just, you can see the sweat on their faces well, as see, they're making this decision, but mm-hmm. also kind of just as they're as they're kind of slowly going towards Henry Fonda's side. Which, by the way, I don't know how he didn't get nominated. Yeah, this is maybe Henry Fonda's best role, and I'm that's saying quite a bit because I mean, he's he, had quite a few. He's a legendary actor. For I mean, a he reason. didn't he didn't win. He's an, he's another one of those guys that they gave a makeup Oscar. He won for On Golden Pond in like I believe eighty two. Jeez. Um, and he, I mean, this dude, Grapes of Wrath, Once Upon a Time in the West. Which, I mean, I th- which one, Once Upon a Time in the West is one of my favorite roles from him. But he he steals this, this movie in a way where there's no real lead character. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch, it's 12 men in a room, yeah. which is hence the title. And by the way, they are all given backstories. They are all developed. And it's less than two hours. And it's less than two hours. It is, it is honestly a master class in getting to the point. Yeah, because it's like, this person is racist. Let me point out how this person is racist. Mm-hmm. Let me point out why this person is this way. It's kind of how Hateful Eight, it's like Hateful Eight is kind of just the like Diet Coke version of this. Where it's, it's like, like the Western version of yeah, this. Yeah, but it's a three-hour long movie. Yeah. Well, almost four-hour long movie where you get backstory on people, but you get 
a lot of backstory on mm-hmm. them, almost to the point where you don't care. Yeah. Whereas this one, it's like this person's kind of racist because it's a it's the guy who's on trial. I think it's racially ambiguous. He's kind of uh-huh. he kind of looks like he's Hispanic. He kind of looks like he's. I think it's just made the point that he's not white. Basically. He's not white, but he's kind of just he's something that's not white. And you have twelve white men in a room uh-huh. discussing this guy's fate, and you feel horrible for him. Uh-huh. And that I think is kind of interesting about this film because they talk and talk and talk, but you're on the edge of your seat. Because there's fights that break out. Not, there's a couple physical physical fights, but nothing like bare-knuckle brawl. It's like these guys are just, they're angry, they're hot, they're tired, they don't want to be there anymore. I mean, it takes over, I think, six hours, six or eight hours they're discussing mm-hmm. this. And one, one guy's trying to get to a Yankees game. Um, they mentioned one guy, uh, one guy mentions uh, how... Those people that live in the slums, they they don't know, or or they're basically they're lesser. Yeah. But one of the guys actually is from that part of town, and then um, there's uh, I think there's one line where he said, "Oh, he's an old man. How is he supposed to know what's going on when they're all older white men?" Like, yeah. there's just a lot of um, I think it's really well done how they kind of point out the hypo- hypocrisy, mm-hmm. um, and it, and also this film just holds up. Yeah, it's one of those films that you could like me and my writing partner i've discussed remaking this film mm-hmm. with a black with a black kid being or a white officer being in the middle of this you could write this in today's society mm-hmm. like this film like you switch a couple things up and you keep the dialogue almost the exact same it holds up it's one of the it's a play it's a play now people mm-hmm. see it's, it was on broadway mm-hmm. so it it holds up and it could be a top 10 film in my opinion i mean i don't think you're not going to get any arguments from me. I think that Sidney Lumet had an incredible career. And if we're talking about, we're talking about um, uh, M. Night Shyamalan and how his debut was highly touted and how it was the beginning of what could be a potentially great career. If you want to talk about somebody who actually lived up to the hype, that's Sidney Lumet. So let's see, he did 12 Ringer Men, Before the Devil's Knows You're Dead, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, and Network. Uh-huh. He also directed, I mean, he just, Guy didn't make the guy made some bad films in the eighties, but a lot of directors from that time make bad movies in the eighties. But he I just I think that Sidney Lumet and Mike Nichols had very similar careers. Yeah, he murdered on the Orient Express with the original one. Serpico. Uh-huh. This guy is this guy is an amazing director from the seventies. Like he's he's a defining director from the seventies. He also did a very good documentary on King on Martin Luther King Jr. And it's him and it was him in um, when he was in Memphis, mm-hmm. the last couple of days in Memphis. Um, so that's, yeah, he just was an amazing director. And I think that um, uh, Sidney Lumet, um, again, just I don't think enough can be said just how great of a storyteller he is. Um, and he he really made the most out of um, the least, I think. And just mm-hmm. he, a lot of his stories, you can tell, are very they're character driven. Um, and they don't really have a lot of bells and whistles as far as uh, visual effects or anything like that. It's really just, it is story driven and he has incredible scripts. Um, I know Network is a film we'll talk about later, um, mm-hmm. with Patty Chevsky's, um, uh, Oscar winning script. Um, and he just, he's just a really incredible storyteller. And, um, this film got recognized, um, by the Academy. It was nominated for three Oscars. 
Um, best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay. It was inducted into the National Film Registry, Registry in 2007. And that Best Picture um, uh, is an interesting one. It had The Bridge in the River Kwai was the winner. Uh, 12 Angry Men, Peyton Place, Sayonara, and Witness for the Prosecution. Okay, there's only two films that I've seen on that, but there, I've seen Bridge on the River Kwai and 12 Angry Men. I think that Bridge on the River Kwai, that's just tough to go up against that one. It's a great movie. It's one of... It's a British film. This yeah. Stars, it's not gonna be, I don't think it's on this list. No. Well, hold on here. Let me let me look that up. Uh, yes, it is. Okay, so it never is. Mind. It's 36 on the list. Okay, so never mind. Richard Robert is an amazing... It's a defining role for Al Guinness. Yes. For sure. If you don't know who that is, that's Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original <laughs> Star Wars. He's also in Lawrence of Arabia. He is an He was an amazing actor. Classic British actor, yep. Yep, he was an amazing actor. Um, but I will make the argument, 12 Anger Men is a top 10 film of all time. I mean, if you're just talking about um, just classic storytelling, and the fact that it's tough, I think, for some of these films to even stand the test of time. And I think yeah. that really is another aspect. We've, we've talked about, um, do this, does this tell the story of film? I think 12 Anger Men absolutely does. Mm -hmm. I also think if this is a film that's... Um, that's made, I mean, 50, 50 plus years ago, and it still holds up today in 2019. It's and it's and is relevant. Not yeah. only just not only is like is it okay to watch or whatever, like it, you're entertained by it, but like it still is relevant today. I mean, we're still arguing about this stuff in it's, 2019. This movie is made in 1957. It is 2019. Yeah. 62 years later, this film is still important. Yeah. Like we're this this could take place today. Like in real life, and it would it would still be relevant. Yeah, it's something that we it's something that we talk about, especially a uh, jury of your peers in quotations, is so interesting because it's it's not really a fair trial if these people are not like you. Yeah, which I think is was trying to say. Mm -hmm. So, um, it is an amazing film. It deserves to be on the list. Absolutely. It deserves to be higher. Yeah. It. Um, Henry Fonda's the maybe defining role if we look back on his career. It's de definitely up there. Um, also, he's this, had a few. Also, Single Met made sure this was shot in black and white. Uh huh. This could have been shot in color. The producers wanted it shot in color. He wanted it shot in black and white to sh to make it dis seem of a time. Yeah, and it's also distinct because I think that. Um, just just having that having that white jury and kind of just literally it that's kind of what the film is about it's really just deciding between black and white i mean and I really mean, just I mean, also, the decision on the jury also it would it, i think color also would have told you what race the the guy who's on trial is mm -hmm. and to be unfair he is a, i think he's 16 or 17 years old he's a kid yeah he's a kid from a bad neighborhood who got caught up in a, is it a merge trial um, yes, he, it, the, basically the trial is he supposedly stabbed his dad with a knife and that's kind of the thing. And it's, it also comes down to an old man supposedly heard him running down the stairs in the apartment. A lady across the street supposedly heard him shouting something at his dad while a train went by. Um, and at one point Henry Fonda grabs a, grabs a switchblade that looks exactly like the one that they claim to be, um, the murder weapon or whatever. And he slams it on the table. Which is the which uh, is the poster? Uh huh. Which yeah. is the poster? Like, if you've seen the poster, it's like it looks like it's the Skills of Justice, but it's actually a switchblade with the Skills of Justice on it. Yeah, and also, 
Um, it, it's really a, a great film as far as visual representation goes. They even bring out a diagram of the apartment mm-hmm. um, to kind of show you uh, like how this scene supposedly and, and played out. These guys are basically doing the detective work that the detectives didn't even have didn't want to do because they just saw this kid and they did it automatically. Like the scene where he recreates um, how many seconds it would have taken for this old guy to get from his bed to the door. And he said that um, this old man supposedly had a limp and he's supposed to get from his bed all the way down to the other end of the hallway in 15 seconds. And so he gets out of it. They make a makeshift bed with two chairs. He gets out. He limps down. It takes him 41 seconds. And then they also do, there's a train nearby. Mm-hmm. So they talk about, can you hear me? Like they open the windows up and he d- yells over the train. You can hear him. Mm-hmm. It is one of those films that it's made, it's a play. I, I believe it was a play before it was a movie. Mm-hmm. It's a dad's screenplay. I'm, I may be wrong. But it's insane. We should probably move on because we could talk about Tiger Anger Man all day. Well, you know what? It's all good. It's an incredible film. Um, another film that I, I enjoy, mm-hmm. um, number 86, a Platoon from 1986, stars Tom Berenger, uh, Willem Dafoe, Charlie Sheen, written and directed by Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this is a solid war film. It's, it's a solid fi- uh, I think it's the most accurate pre- representation of Vietnam. Absolutely, and it has that, um, obviously, the, the money shot, if you will, from it is with Willem Dafoe getting shot down by the helicopter. The, Jesus, the Jesus statue, yeah. Uh-huh. The, uh, um, Oliver Stone, before he became insane, <laughs> this was his first big film. Yeah. Um, before he did JFK and all his movies are about conspiracy theories, he did this <laughs> movie. And it's an amazing film. It, if you haven't seen Platoon, I recommend seeing it, because... There's other films on this list which depict Vietnam incorrectly. Yeah. This film depicts what Vietnam actually was really like. It's scary. It's dark. It's humid. You're in the jungle. You can't... Like, when the Viet Cong are coming at you, they don't look much different. Mm-hmm. Like, they're shadows, almost. Yeah. But they are there. And they don't, don't depict the Americans as good people. Yeah. They don't depict... They also don't depict Vietnam, Vietnamese as good people or bad people. Like, it is a very well-made war film, and it's something I would almost strive to do if I were, were to war film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that Oliver Stone, he, a lot a lot of the times, I think he is definitely um, leaned towards the more darker, um, twisted side of things, for better or worse. Um, I think that Platoon, uh, it's been a few years since I uh, since I saw this film, but I do remember it, it I felt very affected by it in the definitely the portrayal of the the darker side of Vietnam. Um, yeah. And I think Apocalypse Now does it as well. But Apocalypse Now is a representation of... It's based off of a book. It's... it's um, what's the name of the book? Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. It's based off Heart, Heart of Darkness. These guys did not go to Vietnam. Oliver Stone's a Vietnam vet. Let's, yeah. let's put that out there first. Yeah. Oliver Stone's a Vietnam vet. Yeah. This is based on what he went through in Vietnam. So it's kind of, it's super realistic. Mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now is, it's a very, it's a really well-made movie. It's. I will th- also say, I guess to kind of go against myself, I would say that Apocalypse Now uses Vietnam more as a backdrop. Yeah. Then probably Platoon explores it a little deeper. Platoon is like, it's, Apocalypse Now is a story about men. This is a story about a unit. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's called Platoon. Mm-hmm. I mean, it explores the dark side. It's more of an about, ensemble cast. Yeah. You also talk about the dark side. Uh-huh. Dark side of humanity. Like, yeah. Like, Tom Berenger's character is a monster. Uh-huh. 
he's a guy who kills people who disobey his orders. He's a person, if you don't, if I don't like you, I'll make it look like an accident that I killed you. Yeah. Like, he, he uh, spoiler alert, the scene of Willem Dafoe where he's doing the Jesus thing, Tom Berenger shoots him, yeah. Willem Dafoe, because Willem Dafoe hates him. Willem Dafoe obviously calls him out, says a bunch of things about him, and says that he's going to report him for war crimes, basically. Tom Berenger shoots Willem Dafoe and leaves him for dead. And basically Tom Berenger is, is the villain of this movie. Not the Viet Cong, Tom Berenger, an American soldier. It sets up that we were not, like, war does this to people. Because Tom Berenger may have been an accountant. May have been something else. Mm-hmm. But now he's a soldier. He has scars all over his body. He's been shot how many times or whatever. He, If he goes back home, he's not the same person. I think this kind of points out why Oliver Stone did this film so well. He lived that. He saw people like that. He saw people that were mean, that were evil. Yeah, and I and I think that this is also a distinct film to come out in the mid-80s. Yeah, I mean, this launched the careers of Charlie Sheen, Willem Dafoe, um, Johnny Depp's in this movie for a, a little bit. Oh, that's right. Johnny Depp's in this movie. He's, he's the translator. Oh, I forgot and, about that. Yeah, and Johnny, it kind of launched... Because he was in, I think he was Hill Street Blues around, uh, 21 Jump Street around this time. Uh-huh. I think it kind of launched him a little bit further along because then he got roles in other movies. Yeah, because he didn't really get leading roles till the 90, late 80s. Early late, 90s. early 90s, yeah. yeah. Um, this also, um, it won four Oscars, uh, one Best Picture, Best Director for Oliver Stone, Best Sound, Best Film Editing. Is nominated for four more um, supporting roles uh, for Berenger and Defoe, Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography. And as far as the best picture race for that, um, for 87, it's the best one it would be far. Platoon, A Room with a View, Children of a Lesser God, Hannah and Her Sisters, The Mission. I think Platoon kind of stands above. The Mission's a good movie. It's a really underrated Robert De Niro movie, but Platoon's just... It, it, if, if 86, I think it deserved to get win the Academy Award. But it just shows how good... Like, Defoe and Berenger, defining rules of their career, Defoe still makes amazing films. I guess it depends on how you feel about Major League. True. <laughs> True. Like, like this would have been around the same time. 89. I think, yeah, yeah, Major League was a few years after. 89. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this is kind of the defining dramatic roles for both these guys. Um, it's just so well made. It deserves to be on this list because I think it's the most accurate representation of Vietnam because there's a bunch of movies based on Viet- uh-huh. Vietnam. Based either at home or away or there on this list, like the Deer Hunter or uh, Apocalypse Now, but I think this is the most accurate representation of what Vietnam warfare was like. And it, and I think, like you mentioned, it really just comes down to, I think uh, Oliver Stone's past personal experience um, played a played a key role in pulling this off. Um, and I think, yeah, you can make an argument you could push it up the list a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, number eighty five, our next film is A Night at the Opera from nineteen thirty five. Stars the Marx Brothers, um, three of the Marx Brothers, because Zeppo had already gone off and done his own he thing. Was, he was unappreciated. Um, uh, Groucho, Chico, and Harpo in this one. Director Sam Woods, uh, black and white film, obviously from 35 uh, inducted into the National Film Registry in 1993 uh, this is this is just an entertaining film it has some of the best setups I think for the Marx Brothers where they're like they're, there's a room there's a part where Groucho is ordering room service and the room just keeps getting filled with people like people just walk in and uh-huh. they act like they're not there and it's one of those things that it is one of the classic comedy bits 
that you see in cartoons, you see in other movies, where it's like he's trying to order room service, and the more people just doing their own thing in the room. It's just a really small room, so by the end of the bit, it's full of people and like props and other stuff. Yeah, it's it's one of those bits that um, has been replicated a lot. Um, I also, another scene that I really liked was, it's kind of similar, um, where the, uh, investigator is coming to try to find Chico and Harpo and their, and their other colleague. Um, and basically they, they're, they're kind of racing around the, yeah. racing around the corner and t- taking the beds out from one room to the other. It's like, I thought there were three beds in here or whatever. And I, that's just another really well done I think um, it's the sequence. Most, I think it's the most classic of the March mo- movies, March Brothers films. I know Duck Soup's higher on the list. Duck Soup's much higher on the list. Um, yeah, but I think Night of the Opera is better. Duck Soup is 60. I would put... I, would, I think you could take Duck Soup off the list, if I'm being mm. brutally honest. And I'd rather see Night of the Opera, because I think it's a better setup, better gags. Um, it's kind of Groucho's big film. Mm-hmm. And I think... It, Really said, with, like, if I think of Marx Brothers, I think of this movie more than Duck Soup. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's definitely fair. Um, I have not seen Duck Soup. Um, okay. So I, I don't necessarily have an opinion on those two. But... I saw this, I think my dad got like a library thing when I was a kid and I watched these. So I remember, I remember Night at the Opera more. I thought it was funnier. Gotcha. Um, yeah, no, I, I think Night at the Opera is just pure entertainment, still holds up. Mm-hmm. I, I think it definitely deserves a spot. Um, Moving on to number 84, um, Easy Rider from 1969, stars Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, Jack Nicholson, um, directed by Dennis Hopper and written by Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, and Terry Southern. Uh, This is just, I just love this film. I didn't like it the first time I saw it, and I'm not a huge fan of the movie still, Okay, but it defined late 60s, the hippie culture, and defined, you know, it was 69. But the fine seventy cinema because it is kind of one of those films. It wasn't a big budget. It wasn't on a sound stage. It was literally three guy. It was like Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, and a camera guy and a sound guy rolling around California uh-huh. shooting this film. Yeah, and it's a simple. It's simple. It's really well made. It introduced Jack Nicholson to the world. Which is huge. And Jack Nicholson is... I think that alone might deserve a spot on this list. <laughs> it, I mean, it, this movie, I think we're both in agreement here, deserves to be on this list. Absolutely. Um, it. I mean, the opening scene alone where they're playing Born to be Wild is iconic. Mm-hmm. It is, like, if you... It is the one thing that people remember about this movie, if we're being honest. Yeah. It is amazing. Yeah, and I mean, also, the ending... Is a is a really mm-hmm. um, just a decision. I mean, it's, this movie celebrating its fiftieth anniversary. I think we can we can spoil it probably. Um, I I mean, just the decision to kill them both off. Yeah. At the ending, that, that that's um uh, that's just a that's just an interesting. It's a bold move. Um, it's realistic. But it is no. It definitely it definitely fit because the they're, dr- they're if they're drug they're taking drugs from California. Yeah. To Louisiana. Yeah. And I, I think I really had a um, that scene that um, uh, sticks out to me is when um, Jack Nicholson and um, uh, is they're on the fire um, and he's t- and he had a quote here I, I wrote down is I mean it's real hard to be free when you're bought and sold in the marketplace yeah. and just kind of Jack Nicholson in a weird way was had, 
throwing in some uh, social and political commentary. And also, even though it has a script, this is almost all improv. This film was, oh, yeah. this film was nothing but improv. Because um, Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda and all of them were high yeah. the entire time. Well, I mean, there's that famous acid trip sequence. Yeah, they were literally um, shooting then, acid. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, this this film was um, nominated for two Oscars, um, supporting role for Nicholson in original screenplay, uh, inducted into the National Film Registry in 1998. Um, Graham kind of, as you said, um, this really helped define um, the year 1969. Um, it feels very much of its era, but also 50 years later, um, I think that it really just also holds up. And I think it's the it quint- it's the quintessential road trip movie, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. Also, another line I think Peter Fonda says in that s- scene is where he says, we blew it. Yeah. And that scene, that line, I we had to watch this for a class, and I think that's why I didn't like it the first time I saw it. Okay, gotcha. And I really just, I, it was a 60s cinema class, and I didn't like a lot of the movies we watched. Okay. But that line where he says, we blew it, he's talking and just like, that it was right after that hunt where Nicholson, that line receiver Nicholson says that, that where he says we blew it and he walks away. And it's kind of the yeah. same where he's, he's thinking inside, we blew, like this whole thing is for not, he knows that he's probably going to die. Yeah. It's kind of that, even though you don't see that coming, he knows that like we're in so much danger here. Yeah, no, there's definitely that, that sense of fear and, a, and even a bit of paranoia, whether it is drug-induced or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just a really well-made film, super low-budget, obviously, um, and just, again, I think that it really holds up and, I mean, definitely definitely deserves a spot on the list, I can I would say. Oh, yeah, I think it's kind of, it should be higher. Yeah, I, I would push it, I would push it a little well, higher. Especially so. above the fun that we're going to talk about Well, next. okay, this is an interesting one. Um... Number eighty-three is Titanic, um, obviously from nineteen ninety-seven. If you don't know who's this movie, what this movie is, or who was in it, or who directed it, <laughs> please go see it. Please, it's like you should see it. I I'm making I'm making fun of this movie because it's James Cameron's only representation on the list. Yeah, but I think it's a well-made movie. It's a, I, it should be on the list, but eighty-three seems really high. And we can get into why that might be the case, but it does star, in case you in case you don't know or want to hear again, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, Billy Zane, <laughs> written and directed by James Cameron. Um, really, two reasons why it has gone down, I guess three kind of, in Hollywood history. It was nominated for 14 Oscars, won 11. Um, it won in Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Vi- Effects, Visual Effects, um, Best Original Song for My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion, and Best Score for the legend James Horner, R.I.P. You need a breather? You good? Uh, um, I know. that. Yeah, that's a lot. It was also nominated for Actress in a Leading Role for Kate Winslet, Supporting Role for Gloria Stewart, which is the old lady basically telling the story, um, Best Makeup. And um, also, um, just obviously, the the effects were ahead of its time, and also number three all time box office worldwide. Um, if you do not adjust for inflation, at two point one eight billion. If you do adjust for inflation, it's second or it's first or it's still like second or third. Yeah, well, cause no, nah, well, cause first is Gone with the Wind. Um, but, but that movie, like. If we're going to talk about yeah. box office, Gone with the Wind, like, it was one of those well, movies that came back over and over and over again. That's but, why the box but also, office is so big. Also, I feel like it's hard to call the, oh, if you just for inflation route, because 
there were there was it's such a different era to come out when Gone with the Wind came out and Titanic or Avatar or even Endgame. Endgame comes out at a time where streaming is big. But the thing is, there are so many more things taking people's attentions away. No, and Endgame in, in, in today's in era. I, yeah, Avatar came out probably the perfect time. That's why it was so big because you only could see this thing in the theater. Yeah, it's a film that you can literally only watch in the theater and really enjoy. Because sure. if it's on TV, it's not as good. I've rewatched it at home, and it definitely is not the same feeling. Because seeing it in the theater, you're like, "Wow, this is amazing! The 3D is so crisp. It's like yeah. special. Fe- I mean, the special effects in Avatar it is almost an entirely CGI movie, and it sure. looks amazing. It still holds effects to hold up. Absolutely, as does Titanic. But Endgame to me is like it's something that will define our generation just like i think titanic defined the generation before us well yeah and i think that really played into the fact that teenage girls want to go watch this like 15 times in the theater <laughs> and it and i'm gonna say this it's a three-hour-long movie and it is a very well-made movie it's well-paced for sure and um it yeah. doesn't feel like it's three hours mm. in some parts and some part i think it drags a bit in the second act and third act is just it's like bang 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 bang. The third bang. act is the best part of the movie. Yeah, the first act's really good because you set up all the characters. You set up Bill Paxton's in the beginning. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. Now I will say, as much as I love Bill Paxton, I when they kept cutting back to Gloria Stewart, I was just like, let's get back to the boat. Yeah, I feel like this the beginning is really well constructed to set up. Here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, this Gloria Stewart just tells her story. You just we stay on the boat for the rest of the movie yeah. until the end. And you really, James Cameron is an amazing director. He's one of the best directors ever. And for mm-hmm. being, he pushed technology in a way that we haven't seen before. I mean, Terminator set Terminator Two set up CGI in a way we have never seen. Absolutely. And it literally brought a revolution to the to it. We don't have Jurassic Park with that that movie. We certainly wouldn't have any of the MCU movies. Absolutely. And Titanic itself, they built a boat. They literally built a boat. They shot on they shot on a boat for a majority of this. They shot they didn't shoot on soundstage. They had a boat that they kind of sat in and they they shot in these locations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's well made. This is Leonardo DiCaprio's coming out party. This is what really launched him into maybe the best actor working today. Well, yeah. Well, I guess that's a different debate. But um, he, this definitely um, kind of pushed him into that status of star leading man. Yeah, I'm not. Absolutely. I'm not saying that like this is his best defining role. No, no, it's, no. A, it's a good. It's he's good in it. But like seeing him as a star. Yeah. Like this is where they pushed. This him. launched him into the. And same thing with Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. She was kind of a no name before yeah. this, and she's. She's actually really, really good in this movie. I and also, I mean, there's something to be said for her chemistry with Leo. Uh, it's in, it's incre- It is magnetic to watch those two, interact. and they're still amazing friends to this oh, day. Oh yeah, I mean and she then, she shouted him out um, uh, when she was oh gosh did she win the Golden Globe or um, yeah she won the Golden Globe yeah for, I think it was for Jobs yeah for uh, a couple years back Steve she Jobs sorry Steve Jobs yeah. yeah she shouted out Leo in her acceptance speech and they yeah. were also in Revolutionary Road um, a few years that's later. a very good movie too. yeah about yeah. ten years later but um, um, yeah this movie's this movie still holds up. I will. I make fun of it because my friend Lane. This is her favorite movie, mm. and she talks about it all the time. But I think it deserves to be on the list because it pushed the genre, pushed film in a way that we haven't seen before. Yeah, special effects were never pushed like this. Yeah, and I think really that 
is what comes down to it. I, I think that I, as a whole, I'm not a, I'm a huge fan of this movie, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, James Cameron has made better films. I think that there were... I mean, I'm going to get into this Best Picture Race, which I think is fascinating class, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I think the spectacle alone, shooting Leo into the stratosphere, giving us Kate Winslet, and obviously, for better or worse, the box office, which it was number one when it went eventually at the end of its run um, all time. I, I mean, I, I can't argue its place, it like being on the list. I mm-hmm. think it definitely deserves just be the, the fact that it is... Um, such an important piece of it cinematic won history. Eleven Oscars. There, there has yet to be a film that has eclipsed that since. Yeah, because a Return of the King tied it. Tied it. Um, but yeah. eleven Oscars. If you win eleven Oscars, it is a classic. You, you yeah. automatically like, you automatically get into double digit Oscars. Doesn't happen. Yeah, and the fun fact is, um, uh, Return of the King and Titanic, um, neither of them won acting Oscars. Which I think is strange because I think it wins like. Could have won for this. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you're not also forgetting Billy Zane actually is really good in this movie. I he's, he's, a, he's a mustache twirling villain, but I still I, like him. That's exactly what I was gonna say. He's I, I, mustache twirling to a T. But I love him as as that. Yeah, I mean, for, I mean, also yeah. there's it's a seven point eight. Wow, that seems kind of low for. Film that's still loved by so many well, people. Well, I mean, that's IMDb. I don't know if that's I necessarily fair. put much um, distinction into that. Um, but I mean, Best Actress in a Leading Role that year would have been Helen Hunt won for As Good As It Gets. Deservedly uh, so. Judy Dench, Mrs. Brown, Julie Christie, Afterglow, Helena Bonham Carter, The Wings of the Dove, and Kate Winslet, Titanic. It's a good class. I mean, that, that, that I think 97 was just a good year. I mean, let's get into the best, best Picture. Um, Titanic won. Um, as good as it gets, Goodwill Hunting, L.A. Confidential, and the Full Monty. That's an amazing class. Goodwill Hunting deserves to be on this list. We've talked about that I before. I think you can make an argument. L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential is really good too. Full Monty is just surprising because it's a movie that shouldn't have been good, and it, it's still it's now classic. Yeah. But Goodwill Hunting, as good as it gets, and L.A. Confidential, three outstanding films. Oh my gosh, I. I absolutely love. Um, I personally have not seen as good as it gets, which is I stupid been. because I am such a huge Jack Nicholson fan. It's, it's Nicholson's last really, last great defining role, in my opinion. Well, he won the Oscar. He that did. was his third Oscar win. Yeah, um, it's for like, that year. and I think it's really his last great, mm-hmm. uh, great acting role. Um, even though I think The Departed kind of was his last gasp. Yeah, which I think he could have won for that one. Which too. the funny thing is, I think for a younger generation, that's where they might have first discovered Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson, which yeah. is crazy to me. Yeah, Jack Nicholson is an amazing actor. He's literally one of like he might be. He, he he's could, a top, in my opinion, he's a top five actor of all time. He could be considered the greatest of all. How many nominations he has? He's he got be, he had three wins and I believe like, seven, at least seven nominations. I think, he has, I think he's double digits in nominations. Yeah. Um. Let me let me look here. So he won three. Um, let's look here. So he was nominated. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's oh double digits. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So he's been nominated 12 times and won one for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 76, um, one for As Good As It Gets in 98, and um, for Terms of Endearment in 84. Um, all three, I think. Um, Terms of Endearment seems kind of... 
He was great in terms of it. I would, I would say a few good men he probably should have won. He was insane in a few good oh, men. Oh, well, yeah. I but, mean, but we can, well, that's, I, that's later. That's later. Yeah, I mean, if we wanted, to, we might do Jack Nicholson down the line here. Yeah, um, well, we'll talk Jack Nicholson. We'll definitely talk. Yeah, if we're I mean, talking actors, we're going to talk Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Um, I, and also, just another shout out here LA Confidential. Great that, film. That's, a, that's an incredible film. I know it might be a little tarnished now because of Kevin Spacey. But just that, I mean, that ensemble cast of um, Kim Basinger and Russell Guy Crow. Pierce and um, Danny DeVito's great in it, too. It's introduced Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, made, it's a really, really well-made movie. Um, yeah. But um, moving on here to number 82, Sunrise from 1927. It stars George O'Brien, Janet Gaynor, Margaret Livingston, um, directed by F.W. Murnau who is also pretty well-known for um, uh, making Nosferatu in 1922. First horror film. First big um, horror film. F.W. Morneau is a, is a really important director mm-hmm. um, in the early 20s, um, really just at, as kind of that, as films kind of entered the mainstream consciousness around this time. Um, um, I will say, I was supposed to watch this last week. I was on a shooter last week, which kind of made me very tired and not be able to watch this film. I did research it a little bit. I don't know. What Do you think it deserves to be on the list? So I watched this for a class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know we've talked about it. Well, that setting is not always the most conducive. Um, it's not the best because you were forced to watch a movie. Yeah, that's tough. And it also depends on who you have teaching. Yeah, that's also tough. Um, but I will say I think yes. Okay. I think yes, because... Um, just real quick here, it was nominated for four Oscars for Best Picture, and this was back, this was the first ever Academy yeah, Awards. Yeah, it was like 20, 1929. 20, 29 was the first um, Academy Awards. And so it was. It, would, it won Best Picture in the unique artistic production category. Um, Best Actress in a Leading Role for Janet Gaynor, who actually, at this time, you could actually be nominated for multiple films. Yeah. Um, in the, so she won, and she was also in Seventh Heaven and Street Angel. Um, which were released separately, obviously from Sunrise. It won and it, um, best cinematography. Um, is nominated for those uh, and best art direction. Inducted into National Film Registry in 1989. Um, obviously, it's a silent film, and so I think that really that I mean depends on who it's you a, ask. It's a silent that. drama. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, so that, that that's a tough sell for some people, Pardon I think. Um, but I don't know. I think that it's just important. Um, it's a very important film uh, for silent film. It's a it's a real interesting story. Um, kind of as George O'Brien is torn between um, lovers. Um, he has his wife here who he kind of neglects at times, but there's also this one other woman um, who he he really uh, truly loves. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of this this kind of back and forth um, between these two. And it, it's it's really just an interesting film, and uh, just it's definitely of its time. Yeah. Um, for sure. I can say that. Um, I don't know. I, it probably depends on who you ask, brother, how well it ages. I think it ages fairly well. And I think that it just, it deserves to be on this list for um, being one of the first Best Picture winners okay. at the Oscars. And just also how how well it's crafted and the importance of F.W. Murnau. So does it deserve to be as high as it is? I think, I think it should still be... I, I think the '80s is a good range for it. Okay. Um, I think you can knock it down a bit. Okay. Um, I I think it definitely, if you if we're talking about again, if we're talking about telling the story of film, Sunrise absolutely plays a role in that. All right. And so I think that um, Sunrise definitely I I could see even as low as '85 or '86. 
But I think definitely it deserves to be recognized at, for its place in, especially at this time in film history. That's fine. I mean, so. I haven't seen it, so yeah, get on you. <laughs> yeah, so um, we can move on here to a film that uh, I, I believe you have seen. Spartacus. A Spartacus from 1960, directed by Stanley Kubrick and written by Dalton Trumbo. Who's blacklisted. Um, that was that the writer's name. Yeah, um, but that was his alias. Um, stars Kirk Douglas, uh, Lawrence Olivier, and Gene Simmons. Um, it was nom- not that Gene Simmons. Not that Gene Simmons. Not J-E-A-N, the kiss. J e a n. Not G e n e. No, uh, no kiss um, in this film. Um, is nominated for six Oscars, won four um, for supporting actor for Peter Ustinov, uh, best cinematography, color, um, art direction, costume design. It was also nominated for film editing and best score. By Alex North, which I don't know how the best score didn't win. It's a classic score. It is one of the greatest scores I've ever heard. I just think that because there are, there are a few scores, I think, that really this effectively play a character in a film. That's fair. Because I there are, there are so few scores that if you take it away, it just completely changes the film. True. I think that Alex North's score... Um, sets the atmosphere, sets the tone for what this film is going to be throughout. It's a three-hour-plus runtime, and the score helps with the pacing of the film. It helps kind of tell you how Spartacus is um, uh, dealing with um, some of these different setbacks. He has to go um, rallying the slave army and going against Crassus and the Roman Empire. Um, it just, it's just such a well-made... And honestly, I mean, it's just good music, too. Um, I think that really helps. Um uh, Kirk Douglas as Spartacus is incredible in this film. Lawrence Olivier, I mean, if we're talking about greatest actors, actors of all time, I mean, Lawrence Olivier is definitely in the conversation. Um, he he in, as Crassus in this film, um, he he is incredible. Um, I know uh, some of these older movies um, can be a tough sell again with a three hour plus runtime, as we mentioned. But again, this is Kubrick's epic, and Stanley Kubrick is a guy who. No matter what he's making, his film's going to be interesting. Whether you like yeah. it or not, it's going to be interesting. And the thing, the thing that makes it really interesting is, this is the least Kubrick of Stanley Kubrick's film, in my opinion. Yeah, I could see that. It's more, it's so, it's not as introspective, it's not as, as, as other films, which this made him, a, this made him a huge directing superstar, mm-hmm. which made him, which, he could do anything he wanted after this movie, which he did Dr. Strangelove, I think. In like sixty five, I believe. Yeah, um, and then obviously, uh, yeah, I looked up the Academy Award for Best Music that year. Exodus won, which is an amazing score. If you haven't, Ernest Gold, The Alamo was also nominated, which is a very good score. Um, Elmer G- Gantry was nominated. I don't know that movie. Magnificent Seven was also nominated, which it's that's all, an insane all timer. Yeah. That's an insane score too. Spartacus has a really good score. Exodus is a very is. It's a very interesting category that year. I think, yeah, I think that's just, that's a tough category because those are a lot of, like, all-time um, great, great, yeah. great, highly regarded films. Um, I mean, Kubrick, as you mentioned here, he kind of had a few, uh, he done some shorts. Um, he did Killer's Kiss and The Killing, which kind of were middling uh, feature films. And Paths of Glory with Kirk Douglas. That's an amazing movie. <sighs> which is one of the, 
Greatest um, World War One movie. It's ever a made. well that, and also it's an anti-war film. It is, uh, which is which is an interesting time at, in the mid fifties. But yeah, again, Spartacus really because he did Lolita in sixty two and Doctor Strangelove in sixty four. Yeah, the sixties were just an interesting decade. He had Spartacus in sixty, Lolita Lolita in sixty two, Doctor Strangelove in sixty four, and a Space Odyssey two thousand one Space Odyssey in sixty eight. Yeah, it's like you saw him actually turn into the director that we think of as Kubrick. Absolutely, in this time period, because Doctor Strangelove. Is a comedy and it's one. It's on this list. Yeah, and it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. It's hilarious. It's really good, um, but it's super interesting. It did. Kirk Douglas didn't get nominated for best actor. He didn't, and I don't know how. Kirk, this is like if you're talking about Kirk Douglas's career. This is the defining role because the poster is literally a picture of him shirtless with a with a big metal armor piece on mm-hmm. his left arm with and a sword. A sword, yep, on the horse, yep. Yeah, it's the iconic, it's an iconic film. Um, it's the last film that we're talking today, but it is, it deserves to be on the list, I think. Yeah. But also, if we're talking, Kubrick's represented how many times on this list? 2001. Um, a Clockwork Orange is definitely Clockwork on here. Orange. Uh, Doctor Strange Love is Doctor on Strange here. Doctor Strange Love and Spartacus. Spartacus, yes. Because The Shining's on here. Which Shining, is, I think The Shining. In my opinion, we're talking The Shining is his best movie, I think. It's his magnum opus. It's what it, it's, 2001 deserves to be on this list. I Absolutely. Think. And Clockwork I think Clockwork Orange does too. You don't like a Clockwork Orange? We can I, get we can get into that later. Yeah, I don't I am not a big fan okay, of it, but we can also, get into that also later. I think it's cuz the setting I was in, but um, <laughs> but it's insane that Kirk Douglas doesn't Get nominated for Best Actor. I've also found that um, Stanley Kubrick just was completely disrespected by the Academy. Because um, this, well, this he, film... He, he also just hated the Academy. Well, I mean, it probably... Yeah, that whole... That was a very contentious relationship. It was funny that I found that um, it won the Golden Globe for Best Picture Drama, but was not nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Um which, uh, which I just I just find kind of interesting, I guess. So it didn't win Best Picture, right? It wasn't nominated for Best Picture. That's insane. Yeah, which I which I just find that ridiculous. Because it won the apartment one, I believe. Um. Well, if if that's the case, then I mean, I mean, let, let me look here. Nineteen sixty. It won Best Writing, correct? I'm not seeing it on here. Um. Let me look. It won. It won for best actor in supporting role, best cinematography, best art direction, and best costume design. Okay. Um, so this was sixty one. Uh, apartment was not. I don't believe the apartment was this year. Um, I thought it was. The apartment was not. I know the apartment was. Was it this year? I'm sorry. I'm yeah, thinking the, of the, I'm the thinking apartment. Of the, yeah. yeah, the apartment. That's was an this amazing year. film. If you haven't seen the it. The apartment too. is one of the best romantic comedies I've ever seen. So. Um, I. I mean, we can get into that when that um, comes up. Yeah, later. the apartment. But the apartment won that year. Uh, which I, I would it's hard side, to argue against that. I no, I would definitely side with the apartment. Um, I don't. I just think that the other nominees were Sons and Lovers, Sundowners, Elmer Gantry, and a film by your favorite John Wayne, um, The Alamo. We'll get into John Wayne later, much later, <laughs> I guess. So I, I've never heard of Elmer Gantry before. So Burt Lancaster. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Uh, it was also inducted into the National Film Registry very recently in 2017. That seems really late for that. Yeah, movie. it really does. I don't because that that film really kind of sparked the sword and sandal, like epic. I feel like. Yeah. Also, something I did not realize, there is this. Um, 
highly influenced Gladiator mm-hmm. and Braveheart. Mm-hmm. Like there are beats in this film that you di- that were pulled directly. Um, Gladi- the the whole f- the uh, the big fight where Maximus says, "Are you not entertained?" is almost like punch for punch. Yeah, what happens in Spartacus? I'd in, love in to see. Th- I would love to see a shot by shot, side by side. I'm did, sure somebody's did. done it. I mean, it's like it's almost it's like same kind of tension, same because. Gla- Spartacus has no like basically destroys this guy. Same thing with Maximus. Maximus is barely trying. Yeah. And Spartacus is barely trying at all, and he just yeah. kills them all. In one. I mean, Spartacus in that first fight should have been killed. Yeah. But um, that's kind of when the revolt started. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I I thoroughly enjoy Spartacus. It's not it's not one of Kubrick's best. Um. But at the same time, it is an incredible film, and I think that it's really interesting to see Kubrick, who is such. A director with a signature style yeah. pull off an epic. Yeah. Also, it's this is the end of the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. So we're we're seeing films like this, where a director kind of gets puts gets kind of put into it, where he kind of doesn't have a lot of control because Kubrick didn't have a lot of control over this film. It was yeah. the last film he did where he didn't have control over the edit, over cinematography, over everything. It was. You're, this is a shot list. We're shooting the shot list. This is what we're editing. These are the scenes that we're cutting out. We're cutting this out. Like he had, he was basically there to be on set, lead the actors, and make sure the camera was set the right, right direction and it was running. That's all he had really had to do. And this is the last time he has to do this. Yeah, it's it, yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing film. Um, but Kubrick's on here a lot, so it's. I but had, here's the thing: Kubrick is also probably one of the best directors to ever do it. I agree, but I still feel like there's other directors out there who could have could have like Spielberg's on here five times. And you can make an argument he could be on here more. But you could, you could. <laughs> but also, if we're talking about Spielberg, you could literally single it down to three films, in my opinion: uh, Jaws, John Le Schindler's List. And Saving Private Ryan or E.T. E. Okay, yeah. If we're talking about, I think Saving Private Ryan's a good film, but I mean Jurassic Park. Hmm. Spielberg. Spielberg's probably the best director ever. If we're being really honest. Yeah, I mean he's my he's my personal favorite. He's mine too, but um, I don't know. I I don't know. Like it's, it's yeah. It's hard to argue because like the brat the that the. The brats of the hot of the seventies, which were like Coppola, Lucas, Spielberg, um, Scorsese, Scorsese, have Brian have, De Palma. Brian De Palma. They all. It's <laughs> like the redheaded stepchild of those. Yeah, of that they, group. I think every one of them has a film on this list. Um, I don't. I don't think De Palma does, but I don't everybody. Think, yeah. But I think those four, which are the big four out of those, mm-hmm. all have films on this list. Multiple films on these on yeah. this list. Lucas has graffiti, which and the original Star Wars, and the original Star Wars, and you can make American graffiti does not need to be on this list because it's higher up than all these other films. Yeah, we haven't and talked we, about it. Yet. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, but Spielberg has five. Um, Kubrick has four. And, and I'm I just feel like there's other directors who could you could put on this list. I mean, Chaplin has a couple. I mean, yeah, there are a couple Marx Brothers films on here. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's tough. It, it's tough when uh, Mike Nichols has a couple. Um, it, it's just really tough when somebody, when a director has made so many classic films. He, defined, he has learned to define pop culture. 
He's, I mean, these, these him, directors, him and George Lucas, I think. And Coppola. And all Coppola. Have, have all defined pop culture in a way that we haven't seen before. And it's just it's just tough to not recognize that. Um, and, and it's just hard for me to... It's like to swallow when there's no female directors on this list. It's hard for me to swallow when you see all the... No, there's only one black director, and there's another, and there's only two people of color on this list. Yeah, I know. I, it's tough. I I think that also just um, another thing that comes up with this list is that when it was made, um, and you're and you're thinking of classic, or classic Hollywood air quotes. Um, I think that in the in the pop culture. Um, as far as like well-renowned films, it was a lot of white men getting the opportunities. That's correct. Um, I mean, you're not wrong. I'm just, it's just hard for me to swallow this thinking that we could have a lot more different films on here. Yeah. A lot of other directors that we've discussed who don't have films on this list, like no one's not on this list. Yeah. And I think Spike could have two films on this list easily. Yeah. I think um, John Singleton could be on here. John Singleton could be on here. Um, the Wachowski sisters now, I believe they're sisters mm-hmm. now, are both uh, could have the Matrix on here. Mm-hmm. We don't have Fincher. Yeah, but we have one representation of Cameron. Yeah. So I would like to see more, um, more films on this list, especially since we're gonna, at the end of when we're all done with this, we're going to compile a list. I feel like. Yeah, no, I think, and I mean, another guy in recent years, Barry Jenkins, I think, um, Moonlight can, can get on this list. <sighs> Moonlight, or honestly, I'll put a Beale Street could talk. Beale Street could talk, yeah. <sighs> I don't know. That's tough. That's a, that's a conversation for another day, though. Um, and again, this is episode two of Ins and Outs. Just real quick here um, to run down um, the list uh, this week uh, was 90. Um, Swing Time from 1936, number 89, Six Sense from 1999, 88, Bringing Up Baby from 1938, 87, 12 Angry Men from 1957, 86, um, Platoon from 1986, there's a lot of uh, repetition there, um, 85, A Night at the Opera from 1935, 84, Easy Rider from 1969, 83, Titanic from 97, 82, Sunrise from 1927, and 81, Spartacus at 1960. Interesting group. It's a very... The 80s probably is one of the most interesting sections, I think. It's a very diverse... As far as, like, film film uh, genres. Also, and like, we go from 1927 to 99. Yeah. In one little section, so... Yeah. It's it's a weird, weird group. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening. It's been... Yeah. It's awesome that you guys are here for us. And uh, we'll look for the next episode, which will be 80 through 71 next week. Yep. And uh, thank you for listening. Yep. And this has been uh, Ins and Out with, with Braden Shaw and Graham Canning. <laughs>